Welcome to For What It's Worth, a podcast from Raymond James, designed to help you plan, invest, and live smarter. Hi, listeners, and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Paige Lenson. We're glad to have you with us. You can find this episode and more For What It's Worth on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. There is a change happening in the financial industry. And we've got you covered with two episodes of For What It's Worth to learn all about it. Many investors are familiar with LIBOR, the London Interbank Offered Rate. It's a prominent interest rate benchmark, and it's being phased out. In this episode, we're going to learn why and what the transition means for certain securities. Our featured guest is Greg Citrin, head of fixed income trading at Raymond James. Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, Thanks, Paige. It's a pleasure to be here. Can you get us started with a little bit of context? What is LIBOR and why transition away from it? Sure. Uh, Well, you said it first. Uh, LIBOR stands for the London Interbank Offered Rate, and it's intended to capture a rate that banks would would lend unsecured to each other for some period of time. Might be one day, might be one month, might be three months, and ultimately represented a market rate uh, that banks could could fund themselves. And in the 70s and 80s, it became very prominent and the liquid uh, futures market developed around it. And ultimately, LIBOR became the go-to index for pricing uh, financial floating rate financial contracts. Really simple example would be a loan that a corporation would get uh, from a bank and it's priced, for example, LIBOR plus 2%. Banks like to make loans against this floating rate index because whether rates are low or rates are high, as LIBOR goes up and down, it offsets their cost of funds and they get that steady 2% net interest. So there's no exact known quantity of how many financial contracts are tied to LIBOR. Estimates are in the 300 to $400 trillion. So it's an enormous amount, making LIBOR pretty ubiquitous in the financial markets. If it's so important, if it's so widely used, why is the industry transitioning away from it? Great question. Uh, Over time, LIBOR shifted from being this rate that banks borrow at to what became sort of a market joke of the rate that banks don't borrow at. Uh, The crux of the issue with LIBOR is that it's established every day uh, by averaging a poll of 20 large global banks and asking them each day, where did you borrow today? Uh, Irrespective of whether they actually had any borrowings or not. So it was never enforced that the rate that they quoted to be part of this LIBOR index actually was based on any transaction. So around the time of 2008 uh, and financial crisis, market observers started seeing this disparity because there was so much volatility in in interest rates at the time versus where banks were quoting LIBOR. And it was pretty obvious that it wasn't really reflective of bank borrowing costs. And worse is that it could be manipulated. And this became a problem uh, because the culprit banks at the time now had outsized influence on repricing that 300 to $400 trillion of contracts uh, that are out there. So ultimately, the British regulatory body that oversees LIBOR uh, deemed it an unusable rate and planned to phase out its publication. Um, one other key thing to keep in mind is this just wasn't, this wasn't just a U.S. issue. 
there was a Euro LIBOR, there's a Yen LIBOR. So this was a global uh, problem and each country is going to handle it in their own way. So what's the next step when it comes to addressing that problem? What's the replacement for LIBOR? Well, one would have hoped for an easy fix here, but uh, it wasn't so simple. Uh, after the financial crisis, you know, regulatory bodies really wanted to be thorough in vetting whatever the successor rate was going to be. So in the U.S., uh, the Fed, who's the primary, uh, one of the primary regulators for, you know, for the banking markets, created a special body called the ARC, uh, A-A-R-C, uh, which stands for the Alternative Reference Rate Committee. And they came upon an eventual consensus to a rate called SOFR, S-O-F-R is the acronym, and it stands for Secured Overnight Financing Rate. And what made this rate different is that it would be determined by direct observable transactions in the treasury repo market. So it was a high volume market uh, with near zero or zero credit risk. Uh, and it was based on overnight lending between banks. Therefore, it serves as a very good, verifiable benchmark for short-term interest rates. Why is this transition from LIBOR to SOFR significant for investors? Is it significant for investors? Uh, it is. And you know, let's, let's start with the relevant dates, because uh, I think that's important. So there's, there's really two dates that come into play. Um, so the first is January 1st, uh, 2022. So that's coming up pretty soon. And that's the date that banks are no longer allowed to create new financial contracts, uh, or securities indexed to LIBOR. So investors and borrowers should start to get acclimated seeing this new index. Uh, typically it's going to be the SOFR index. Um, there are some others that are starting to emerge, but the, the Fed and other regulators really prefer this, this SOFR index. Um, and so whether it be loans they receive, such as a securities-based loan uh, or floating rate investments they buy, uh, the market is very, very quickly transitioning to using this new index. Um, the second date that's important is June 30th, 2023. So that feels pretty far away. Um, and that's the date that LIBOR will no longer be published and so this is where the rub really hits. So remember those 300 to $400 trillion of contracts I mentioned earlier? Some subset of those are still going to be around because they won't have matured by June 30th, 2023, but they're going to reference LIBOR. So this is where it gets tricky because those investments or loans or contracts, they're so disparate. One may be an adjustable rate mortgage you have on your house. Another may be a corporate bond you have in your portfolio. And when the LIBOR is no longer published, what do you do? Can you tell us a little bit more? You mentioned a couple different kinds of contracts, securities, but can you really dig in? What is it going to mean for some of those different investments? Well, for starters, each exists under a different legal document. And so no, not it, you can't predict that every investment is going to behave or every contract is going to behave the same. The market is trying to get Uh, some uniformity here, and the regulators are trying to get some uniformity here. But what happens to a mortgage you may have on your house might be different to a corporate bond that you own in your investment portfolio. So let's say you own a corporate bond that earns LIBOR plus 3%, and every three months you're expecting that piece to reset based on LIBOR. 
uh, it's going to ultimately be replaced by something uh, or potentially even convert to a fixed rate. So it, it's really going to depend on how that uh, actual investment was documented and what ends up replacing LIBOR. What will that experience be like for the investor? Is there going to be an action required? If I am, say, holding a floating rate bond, what am I going to experience throughout this transition period? Yeah, honestly, Paige, it's going to depend on what you own. So most securities created in the last few years were already anticipating this trans, this event and, and this transition. And so they were designed with very good, what we call fallback language that allows the instrument to seamlessly transition to whatever the new successor index would be when LIBOR is no longer available. So those are in, in pretty good shape. And when you bought it, when an investor bought it or took, took the, the loan out, it was very well documented. Where it's going to be very tricky or trickier, I should say, I'm not going to say it's going to be very tricky. We'll go with trickier, is the older securities, uh, such as like bank trust preferreds that were issued 15 years ago and have maturity dates into the 2030s. Um, so those do not have robust fallback language. They were never designed or uh, when they were created, it was never conceived that this could happen. So the, the ARC, the Fed body I mentioned earlier, has published uh, suggested fallback procedures. Um, but more importantly, uh, New York State, uh, where most securities jurisdictionally reside, did pass a law that uh, essentially replaces LIBOR with whatever the market standard is. So it allows uh, financial institutions to not have to go through a whole legal construct, but they can sort of do the seamless uh, replacement of LIBOR with whatever the market benchmark is. But you know, that being said, I, I recommend every investor you know, discuss their floating rate holdings with their financial advisor. Uh, not saying they're going to be a problem. I just think it's a good idea for, for an investor to really know, know what they own. What risk or perhaps opportunity might this transition present for investors? Well, for one, investors should understand that LIBOR and SOFR are different. Recall, SOFR is an overnight secured rate. Uh, LIBOR was not. And so the expectation is that, uh, that the SOFR rate will be lower than LIBOR. It is less risky. Um, and so depending on the contract that you're in and what ARC has determined to be a good fallback successor rate, uh, the question is really, um, you know, are you going to be as an investor sort of made whole? So for instance, if you were earning LIBOR plus 1% uh, on an investment and it switched to SOFR plus 1%, you might say, well, I'm missing a few basis points there because SOFR is a little bit lower than LIBOR. So there are um, you know, plans to, to try to compensate for that so that LIBOR plus 1% would translate to SOFR plus 1.1%, for, for instance. But not all securities are going to transition the same way. Uh, and that event, you know, again, doesn't occur till June 2023. So uh, there's no implications with that now, but again, you know, know what you own, I think is, uh, is an important uh, construct. Are there any unique implications for this situation, given the current market environment that we're in? It's a good question. So you know, most of our listeners, I think, are aware that we are in an extremely low interest rate uh, environment right now due, due to the Fed easings since the, the outset of, of COVID. 
And in such a low interest rate, we get this tremendous compression uh, in, in short-term rates. Everything starts to converge towards zero, fortunately not below zero. So for instance, today, one month live order uh, is nine basis points and so far is three basis points. Well, in a historical normalized world, that would have really been closer to 11 or 12 basis points. Today, it's six. So uh, in terms of an opportunity, if you can find a SOFR investment, you know, that was created under the assumption of this 11 to 12 basis points difference, you know, maybe there's a five or six extra basis points out there for, uh, for you on that side. Nothing major, though. Greg, we really appreciate your insights around this topic. I want to ask if you leave our listeners with, you know, a potential key takeaway, what would you recommend? Sure. You know, I've, I've got a couple. One, uh, the, all the heavy lifting and everything that you've heard about the, the LIBOR transition, this is all happening behind the scenes. The actual investor themselves doesn't really have to do anything. The financial institutions and the, the financial infrastructure is really handling uh, doing all the heavy lifting uh, around this. Uh, but as I said earlier, I, you know, investors should look over their portfolios, both on the asset side and their liabilities, so their investments and their loans, and see if there could be some exposure there and discuss it with their financial advisor. But one thing I do know is you should expect to hear from your financial institution providers over the coming months. Uh, I know, you know banks and financial institutions all over the country are preparing all sorts of uh, notices and documentation and education materials uh, to make sure that, uh, that their clients are, are aware of these upcoming changes. So communication, more communication is likely on the way. Greg Citroen, Head of Fixed Income Trading at Raymond James. Greg, thank you so much again for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Paige. Listeners, thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for our next episode, in which we'll discuss what the LIBOR to SOFR transition means for the banking industry. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you don't miss a thing. For what it's worth, I'll see you next time. All opinions and information, including any price references or market forecasts, correspond to the recording date listed in this episode's description. Any performance figures noted do not include fees or charges, which would reduce an investor's returns. The information contained in this podcast is not research, nor does it constitute the provision of any investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or recommendations to the listener. Raymond James and its financial advisors do not provide tax or legal advice, and you should discuss any tax or legal matters with the appropriate professional. Past performance is not an indication of future results. There is no assurance any investment strategy will be successful. Investing involves risk, and investors may incur a profit or a loss. Investment products are not deposits, not FDIC-NCUA insured, not insured by any government agency, not bank guaranteed, subject to risk and may lose value. Copyright 2020 Raymond James & Associates Inc. Member New York Stock Exchange, SIPC. Copyright 2020 Raymond James Financial Services Inc. Member FINRA, SIPC. Raymond James and Associates Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services Inc. are affiliates of Raymond James Bank. The London Interbank Offered Rate, LIBOR, is a set of several benchmarks that reflect the average interest rate at which large global banks can borrow from each other. The leading indicator used to price loans and other debt instruments, it is produced once a day by the Intercontinental Exchange, ICE, and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. A securities-based line of credit, SBLC, may not be suitable for all clients. The proceeds from an SBLC cannot be A, 
used to purchase or carry securities, B, deposited into a Raymond James investment or trust account, C, used to purchase any product issued or brokered through an affiliate of Raymond James, including insurance, or D, otherwise used for the benefit of or transferred to an affiliate of Raymond James. Raymond James Bank does not accept RJF stock or any securities issued by affiliates of Raymond James Financial as pledged securities towards an SBLC. Borrowing on securities-based lending products and using securities as collateral may involve a high degree of risk, including unintended tax consequences and the possible need to sell your holdings, which may lead to a significant impact on long-term investment goals. Market conditions can magnify any potential for loss. If the market turns against the client, he or she may be required to quickly deposit additional securities and or cash in the account or accounts or pay down the loan to avoid liquidation. The securities in the pledged account may be sold to meet the collateral call and the firm can sell the client's securities without contacting them. A client is not entitled to choose which securities or other assets in his or her account are liquidated or sold to meet a collateral call. The firm can increase its maintenance requirements at any time and is not required to provide a client advance written notice. A client is not entitled to an extension of time on a collateral call. Increased interest rates could also affect SOFR rates or any successor rate thereto that apply to your SBLC, causing the cost of the credit line to increase significantly. The interest rates charged are determined by the market value of pledged assets and the net value of the client's non-pledged capital access account. Securities-based line of credit provided by Raymond James Bank. Raymond James and Associates, Inc. and Raymond James Financial Services, Inc. are affiliated with Raymond James Bank, member FDIC. The secured overnight financing rate, SOFR, is an influential interest rate that banks use to price U.S. dollar-denominated derivatives and loans. The daily secured overnight financing rate, SOFR, is based on transactions in the Treasury repurchase market, where investors offer banks overnight loans backed by their bond assets.